0: Amen. Um, we call this a, a, a season of Advent, and that's not a word that most of us use uh, regularly. Um, um, if you've been a part of Mosaic for any amount of time, or maybe particularly a, another church um, that's, that's acknowledged Advent, or you come from some kind of a tradition, maybe you're, you're familiar with it, but most of us are not. And here's, here's where this uh, term comes from. This, this word Advent comes from a Latin word, Adventus, and um, and anytime we're looking at a foreign word, it just helps us kind of feel like we're really smart. And so one of the reasons that we do this is just to go look at how cool we are that we use. Maybe not. Okay, so uh, Latin Adventus, and it just simply means this, arrival, appearance, or approach. That's what, that's what Advent means. Latin word, we sound smart, but here's all it means, arrival. Somebody's arriving. Somebody has arrived. Uh, somebody's here. If we change it to a verb, which is a, a, a different, obviously a different word form, but if we change it to a verb, it's it's as if somebody's saying, "I am coming" or "I've arrived." And and why we're doing this here at, as a part of Mosaic and why we've done it for a number of years in in the life of our church is set aside this this season is because followers of Jesus started doing this in the sixth century. It may have been earlier than that, but that's kind of the first recorded time. And so in the sixth century. Followers of Jesus started setting aside the four Sundays prior to Christmas Day, prior to the day of celebrating the birth of Christ, the four Sundays prior to that, to prepare themselves and to focus and to pay attention to and to remember the birth of Christ. So if you can think about that, we're doing something that followers of Jesus, that churches have done for about 1,500 years. It looks in the past of saying Jesus was born, but it also looks to the future of saying Jesus promised to to return, to come back. And so Advent, the practice of Advent, what we're doing here together over this month, these four weeks, is something that the church, followers of Jesus, have done for 1,500 years to help define who it is that's coming, to help remember, to help focus on Jesus, and to also help us remember who we are as his followers these things that we do as a part of Advent help us to remember who we are. We light these, these four candles. If you're counting, there's five, and that's because we light one for each week. and then the, the middle one is the Christ candle, and we'll light that together on, on Christmas Eve, um, celebrating the birth of Christ. And, and typically the, the church has kind of said, hey, we'll, we'll take a, a theme or a, a word for each of the four um, leading up to the Christ candle, the, the fifth one. And there's different ways to do that. You can look at um, different characters in the story of the, of the birth story of Christ. You can look at different themes that come through. It. What we're going to do this year is is look at one particular passage each week um, of what you just heard read by by Harvey and Miles. Which again, you guys did a fantastic job. Thank yeah. Um, we're, we're inviting uh, folks within our church community to come up here and read, and uh, you guys set the bar really high, so so thanks. And um, I'm actually gonna read some of the verses you just read, and I hope I do it as well as you because a few of them are tongue-tied. Miles, I don't know how you did that. You, I, yeah, that was that was great. I'm, I'm actually thinking about that Q word I gotta read in a few moments, but... Um, <laughs> That, that is the most familiar of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record the birth of Jesus. But, but Luke has become the most familiar for us. And so even as, as Miles and, and Harvey read it, you said, oh, I've heard that before. I've, I've, that sounds familiar. So what we're going to do is we're going to read that together just like they did um, each of the four weeks. And then we're going to take a moment of silence just to think on the story of the birth of Jesus and all that goes into it. We're going to learn a little bit more about it each, each week. And then we're going to divide it up. We're going to read the first five verses today and a couple more next week and a chunk the following week. And then the fourth week, we'll read some more and finish it out for these, these 20 verses of Luke chapter 2, 1 through 20. And there's four themes that we're going to pull out from this. And the first one is, is anticipation. The second is going to be provision. The third peace, and the fourth wonder. And again, maybe you've heard different words going through Advent before, if, if you've experienced this before, but those are the four themes and words that we're going to focus on this word. Anticipation, provision, peace, and, and wonder. And so together, we're going to look at the first five verses that you just heard read and, and see how that actually points us to the, the concept, the theme, the idea of anticipation and being a people of anticipation. So Luke chapter two, verses one through five. If you don't have a Bible, you can look up on the screen. They're going to be there as well. Um, Luke chapter two, verses one through five says this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. Caesar Augustus, if, if you um, if you've never, um, you never, heard that before, that that term. Caesar Augustus was um, a Roman emperor. Um, He was a Caesar. He was the the ruler of the known world at the time, the the Roman world. And uh, he was actually the, the guy who, the leader who took it from being a republic to becoming an empire. And those are two different kinds of governments. Republic, there's far more people involved and more people have a voice. And an empire has an emperor that kind of just decides everything. And Caesar Augustus decided, hey, I've seen the republic thing, and I, you know, that, that's got some benefits to it. I really want to go the empire out. I really want to be an emperor. And so Caesar Augustus is the first em- emperor of, of Rome. And he was an adopted son of the previous leader of Rome, and um, he wanted to make some changes. And as he made those changes, one of the things that he did is he began referring to his adopted father as divine, He says, our previous ruler was was divine. And so when you call somebody divine, you're saying that they are godlike, they're a god. And so people started calling him a god. And if Caesar Augustus' dad was a god, that makes him a son of a god. And it also makes him divine. So kind of neat thinking on his part, like how do I get to be a god? I'll make my dad a god, and then they'll, they'll just acknowledge me. So they started calling him a son of god. He became divine in many people's eyes. And in fact, many of his followers, many of the people in the empire called him a savior, son of God, savior, T- titles, terms, descriptions for Jesus prior to Jesus were being used on Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus, the um, first emperor of Rome was not savior. And one of the reasons he was called a savior is because he brought this, this time, this season, this era of peace and justice to the Roman world. Not everybody would have said, hey, this is really peaceful and just, but Caesar, for the most part, established peace and just in the world, and so many people called him a savior because of what he brought culturally and experientially for so many people in the Roman world at that point. Savior brought peace, and he brought justice. He got to a point where he said, you know what, Um, I I need some more money. Uh, I want my army to be uh, well-supplied and resourced. I would like a larger palace. My pool is not big enough. I want a bigger pool. I would like a larger crown. I don't know, but he wanted more money. And so the way that emperors got more money is that they would tax people. And so he, in order to find out who he was going to tax, needed a record of everybody that he was going to tax. And so he started a census. And a census would give him a list of everybody, and then he could tax everybody, and then he could have more money for his crown pool palace and army. And so what we have in this record in Luke chapter two is Caesar Augustus starting the census in the Roman world at that time. And everybody had to go to their own town to register. That's how it worked. And so we have verse four. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Joseph is not a a known character. He's not a known person. There's not a lot of people that made a big deal about about Joseph. God did, God picked him. But but Joseph wasn't a standout person at that point. We know him because he's picked by God and he's in the story. But up until this point, he was just kind of a normal guy in a very small, irrelevant town, Nazareth. And he's in, he's in Nazareth being just a good guy and growing up, and it's time to get married. And so um, he gets introduced to Mary, and they're, they're pledged to be married to one another. And then the census happens, and he's got to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And Bethlehem was, was near Jerusalem. And, but not much was thought of Bethlehem, but he has to travel to Bethlehem because he's of the, the line of David. And so what we have here in these two verses of four and five is, is some really key details that, that matter a lot in our story. The, the Bethlehem matters. The fact that Joseph was in the line of David matters, which is why he's in Bethlehem. And then the, the fact that is about to, to give birth. And as you heard read earlier, she gives birth in Bethlehem. That's the Christmas story. But what we have in these verses and why 4 and 5 are so significant is because it points back to, to all that, that goes on before this. If you've, if you've got a Bible, Luke is towards the back end of the Bible. It's in the New Testament, which is smaller than the Old Testament. All of these pages prior to the book of Luke tell the story of God. And throughout it, there's this, there's this promise that God is doing something and he's bringing something into being, into place, that history is moving towards something, that it's not just here, that God is working and doing something, and at the core of all that is God's promising to send his Messiah, to heal what is wrong with the world. And we have these, these glimpses of it that are very specific throughout Scripture, and there's a whole bunch, but let me show you one. It's in Micah uh, chapter 5, verse 2. And Micah is a prophet in the Old Testament. It's a small book at the back end of the Old Testament, and it says this, "'But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel.'" whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So a prophet is speaking years and years and years before Joseph and Mary ever come around. Hundreds hundreds of years before Joseph and Mary, and and, and we have this. And what this is, Micah is saying here, is, is, is delivering a word from God. And Judah is the clan that David is from. David is in the clan of Judah, and they're from Bethlehem. That's where the clan is is settled originally. That's where they're from. And so David is from the clan of Judah, which is from Bethlehem. And this is a word from God that Micah is speaking that says there'll be a ruler over Israel, that Jesus will be king, that the origins are from old, from ancient times. He doesn't have a normal human's lifespan that comes from way before And so here in Micah 5.2 is just one verse of, of, of several throughout the Old Testament that are very specific that have details in it that all of a sudden in Luke we have this story that is familiar that we're gonna read each of the four weeks of Advent that says, hey, God is working way beyond just this story. And that what happens is Caesar Augustus shows up and makes himself emperor and wants to start taxing people and so he declares a census and that means that Joseph in this particular month has to move over here to Bethlehem for a short time to register. And Mary goes with them and ends up having a, a baby right there at that time. So all of these things are moving. And here what we have is this fulfillment that in Bethlehem, because that's where the clan of Judah is and that's where David's from, that Joseph ends up going there. Something's happening. Now, these five verses set up the story. They give us kind of the historical context and not just of that, of that day or week or that, those three days that, that Joseph would have traveled the 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem, but the much bigger picture that's going on. Now, while Joseph didn't put all the pieces together, he had to have an angel to show up and help him because he was pretty confused because Mary and he were betrothed and that kind of means they were engaged, but everybody knew they were gonna get married, but she ends up pregnant and that's a big problem for Joseph because they're not married yet, they're not sleeping together. How did she get pregnant? An angel shows up and says, hey, uh, I know this doesn't look good, but there's something bigger going on. Just, just trust me because, well, I'm an angel and so just kind of go along with it. And, and Joseph does and that's a really good thing. But, but it's a pretty uncomfortable situation. And he doesn't realize that, that Mary is, is truly a virgin and that she's the fulfillment of God's promise throughout Hundreds of years of promise that says, I'm going to show up and be born. And Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. Joseph doesn't realize that. But what he does realize and what Mary realizes and all of their family and all of their friends that they've ever grown up with is that God is working and something is happening. They're people that have been, in a sense, they're people who have been in waiting their entire life and generations before. Everything about their life. The, the, the kinds of foods that they ate at particular times in the year, the feasts that were intricately organized, the, the way that their calendar worked, the fact that they took, took Saturdays as a Sabbath off, the way that they, they taught their children growing up, the languages that they learned, the scrolls, the books that they studied, the scriptures, all of that had to do with them acknowledging that God was in control not in all the the specific ways that they would have orchestrated or or chosen for themselves, but that there was a God who loved them and chose them and was in control and was doing something throughout history and that they were waiting for him to show up as the Messiah. All of their life was that. they They were people of anticipation. They were people of anticipation and were invited to be people of anticipation in a similar way that they were. See, they weren't just waiting. There's a difference between waiting and anticipation. When um, I grew up and my, my parents uh, follow Jesus, they do still today, um, and they actually did this really weird thing with these four candles in our home growing up, and I don't know if you've got a, an Advent wreath or, or the kind of thing in your home, if you've ever seen that before, but, but we actually did that, and the first one every year was, was waiting, and I absolutely hated that first one. I hated it as a kid growing up because I was really concerned about my Christmas list and I knew that I had to wait near eternity till Christmas Day came. And so to, to, to light a candle on a Sunday night in my home and to talk about waiting just made it so much more painful. And so we've ditched waiting and we've replaced it with anticipation. No, that's not why. But anticipation is a specific kind of waiting. Waiting can be a lot of different things. Waiting can be passive. We can just sit and wait and not really know what 's coming, not really have an expectation of what 's coming, just be waiting and passive, but waiting can also be very active, and when it is active and when it is anticipating something specific that 's the difference between anticipation and waiting as we 're waiting for something specific with a sense of expectancy um, i don 't know how, how closely you watched uh, um, the, the national weather um, this last week. Um, Monday, uh, news reports begin to come out of, of two really significant storms uh, in our nation uh, for this week. And in fact, the, the term historic was put over both of them. Historic storms on Thanksgiving week this year in the U.S. One was in the Midwest somewhere, which we're not going to really focus on that one. The other one was predicted to come and did come right over the I-5 freeway in Northern California and Southern Oregon. And it, and it landed and it dumped a ton of snow. Um, this is important and relevant um, because my son moved from my house into a dorm room in Southern California in August and I haven't seen him in person in almost three months. And he needed to get from that dorm room to me on Thanksgiving weekend and in between him and I and his mom <laughs> was a historic storm that was going to dump snow. And um, individual personal denial does not move storms. And neither apparently does prayer. But we prayed and hoped and denied that this was going to they were supposed to leave and drive him and his aunt and his girlfriend were going to leave and drive from, uh, from Long Beach, California, up uh, I 5 to home and, uh, and leave Tuesday evening. Um, because of the storms, they delayed that till 3 a.m. Wednesday morning and uh, began driving and got stuck at Reading. Um, stuck in Redding. that's like you read a book. Um, and and we're stuck because the roads were literally closed, like completely closed down, and they were clearing them and clearing all the cars that thought they could get through and couldn't, and we're off the side of the road. Several hours had to wait, and then we're able to get the roads cleared and they could begin driving it. So we had been waiting for weeks for noon on Wednesday when he would arrive at our home. And at noon on Wednesday, he was stuck in Reading and then was able to drive a few hours later and, and, and get home. And, and Wednesday nights at, at, at 10 and then at 10.30 and then at 11, we're waiting and we're tracking on the iPhone. Find my iPhone. Where's my, my son? where Get here. get, And we're sitting in our, our living room looking out at our street and, and watching him come on, on getting closer and closer and getting off the freeway. And and then we looked down at the end of our street and, and realized he's in the neighborhood. And so we ran outside and stood outside and, and looked down at the end of the street and waited for the, for the lights to come around the corner so where he would come up and pull. And as soon as the lights came around the corner and they pulled up in front of our, our curb, in front of our home, we, we mobbed him and, and jumped him. That's anticipation. That's waiting for something specific, someone specific. Not just waiting to see what's going to happen in the next hour, day, year, decade, but anticipating is waiting for something specific that you're looking forward to and you're taking every action you can possibly think of to help move closer to it and to help have that arrive and be. That's it, anticipation. The people of God throughout history have anticipated God fulfilling his promise in the Messiah, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we're people of anticipation now as we, Read the story and realize what God's already done, and look ahead to what He will do. There's a psalm that describes this for us. Psalm 130. It says, "This I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in His word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning." Israel put your hope in the Lord for with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption this is a this is a great picture this would have been recited and sung and and known and would have been familiar them. we're waiting but we're not just waiting passively we're waiting with the sense of anticipation and I'm actively choosing to put my hope in God and I'm recounting the promise that in him is unfailing love and and full redemption even even this particular psalm, it's 130, it's in, this, it's in this group of 11 that are known as psalm of ascents, to ascend, and they would have been sung and recounted out loud, recited over and over as people would have traveled from wherever they were coming to get to the temple to worship God. And on their days-long travel as they would go there, they would walk up the mountain to Jerusalem, then walk up the mountain to where the temple was, and as they did it, they would recite these psalms of ascent, and this would have been one of them. They were a people of anticipation. They weren't just waiting to see what was gonna happen. They were worshiping God as they they were going through their days and weeks and years. They were making their way to the temple to worship God and they were saying this, I'm waiting, but I'm moving. I'm going, I'm active. There's something happening. I'm anticipating that God is gonna be faithful and true to what he says. There's this great quote from uh, Carl Barton. He, He says this, He says, what other time or season can or will the church, that's those of us who follow Jesus, we're the church. Not whether you are a part of a specific church or not. If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus looks at you as the church. What other time or season can or will the church ever have other than Advent? We're we're in the season of Advent. This is the time and season where we're in the in-between. We're waiting because we know that Jesus has come and we know he's coming again, and so we're in this in-between time. There's a much longer quote, but it's worth it, trust me. It's by a guy named Will Williman. He says this, our lives are eschatologically stretched. Now, we already did a Latin word, so we can handle this one, I'm sure but eschatologically just means like end time, like a whole picture of all of history, but but certainly including what's going to happen at the end in the future. Our lives are eschatologically stretched, so stretched throughout all, all of eternity, not, not just where we are in, in history, but eschatologically stretched between the sneak preview of the new world being born among us in the church. Gosh, if that's not happening, we're missing something. There's a new world that God is bringing, and he's bringing it through his people. It's not through a a location or a geography, it's through his people, the church. New world being born among us in the church, and the old world where the principalities and powers are reluctant to give way. And he goes on. In the meantime, in this in between that we're in, that we find ourselves in, which is the only time the church has ever known, we live as those who know something about the fate of the world that the world does not yet know. Something so grand and wonderful that we cannot keep silent and that makes us different. If we follow Jesus, if we're part of the church, if we're part of the people that God is working in and through to change this world, to bring something new into this world, we're in this in-between time where he hasn't yet returned in glory and fully brought his kingdom and set all things new. That hasn't happened yet. We're actually called to be people who sit bouncing our knees on the edge of the couch looking out the window and down the street for the lights to come around the corner go it's he's coming he's coming he's not here yet he's coming but i'm going to live knowing that he's coming and so our invitation our call is to be people who live differently that we actually enter into this season this crazy christmas time holiday season whatever everybody else around us calls it it gets so active If you tried to drive anywhere this weekend, if you tried to shop for anything, you know that the hectic nature of our culture and world at this time. And in this time, how is it that we live as different people? I I didn't intentionally do this, but as I reflected on this and and wrote it out this week, I ended up with a bit of a, a Christmas carol arc to this of past, present, and future. So if that works for you and is helpful, great. If that's super annoying, forgive me. But I've got a past, present, and future for you on how we can actually be a different kind of people in the here and now. The first is, is that we, we look back. How do we anticipate? We actually start by looking back. That we remember and reflect on the story. It's the reason we're going to read the same 20 verses towards the start of our gathering each of these four weeks. To remember and reflect on the story. But specifically, can I invite you to to remember and reflect at just how different Jesus is than anyone else who has ever been or will ever be. That we're celebrating this Christmas story because we have a, a Savior and a King who came in a completely, as much as it's written in prophecy, unpredictable way. No one would have orchestrated it like this. If any of us then or now could have orchestrated it, we would have come with a leader who was on par with Caesar Augustus and could have just taken him out. And yet we have a leader who is making a list of everybody so he can get more money. And then we have a baby boy born to an unwed teenage mother in a dirty stable and placed in a feeding trough, a manger. That's that's God's grand entrance into humanity. There, humble beginnings, right where we're all at, right on the lowest level, right on our level, right here with us. That's where God chooses to show up. And so to remember and reflect, to look at the past and to realize how humble Jesus is and was when he started. The king of the universe involved in creation entered into humanity in that scene. And every nativity scene that you see, regardless if it's on a, on a greeting card or if it's in an ornament or if it's on somebody's front lawn or in some business somewhere, and regardless of who the characters are, if you know, there's some pretty creative ones where you take you know, movie characters or cartoon characters and make a nativity scene, or if they're carved gorgeously from some kind of a wood or stone or whether they're brand new ones or they're really old ones. However they're made, whatever they're constructed of, the scene is the same. A manger with a baby and a few people looking around. Animals too. You got animals in there. But whenever you see a nativity scene, to take pause and go, "That's, that's my God coming after me. That's how God entered into my story, to our story as humanity. That's the past. The, the present is how to be present in this 2019 December, Christmas time, holiday season, this Advent right now. How to enter into this as people of anticipation is to be present in the moment, is to be present in, in the here and now, to, to actually stop and to take a deep breath. And to slow down and to calm down and to realize that so many things around us are swirling. There's, a, there's a, a rapid pace to everything that happens around us. There's a hectic nature. We've already had to do it once in our, in our house. We've had to reschedule a Christmas party. I would guess many of you have already had to reschedule or, or say no to one because you can go to the yeah. other one. Um, that you can't believe all the things on your list to get done. Students, the, the the growing list of things you have to finish before the end of the quarter or the semester. There's so much that goes on, so much that we pack into this season to actually be able to stop. We can't get our hands around everything and control everything, but just to be able to stop and to be present in, in the moment and to take a deep breath and to calm down. And when that happens, we actually are able to, we, we begin to experience and taste the capacity to see beyond just ourselves and to see others around us. When we're present in the moment, we can see others around us. And then we see not just our own needs and wants, but we actually have the opportunity to see others' needs that we otherwise might, might miss. And so to be present in the moment, to be a person of anticipation, knowing that God is in control and He's fulfilled His promise and He will fulfill His promise in the future that we can actually stop and gear down and slow down and see others' needs. And in just a little bit, Adam's going to share about some ways that we want to do that as a church this season, is to meet needs of those around us that we see. But we can't do that if we're not present in the moment. And for the future, for the future, to, to read these same 20 verses and to be people of anticipation that know the story and to know that Jesus is returning and coming again is is rather than to frantically live and force ourselves to step faster and faster into the future, is to to be patient. And we're going to anticipate, and we're going to sit on the edge of the couch, and we're going to look down the street and say, we know Jesus is coming, but we're going to be patient in the here and now. Because if I'm here in the here and now, knowing what the future is going to bring, do I have the kind of conviction that says these moments matter? This matters right now, what God is doing right now in me and in those around me. That God has me here, of all of history, God has me right here, right now. And so I know the future, but I can be patient and present right now out of a sense of conviction that God wants to do something in and through me at this time and this season in 2019 and to be people who are patient. Past, present, and future, we're called to be people of anticipation because we know the promise that has been fulfilled and that will be fulfilled in Jesus. One of the great tensions of Advent and one of the great tensions that we we actually are invited to feel and should feel, it's a good tension, is that we have this, these candles that point to the birth of Jesus. And so we have this imagery of a manger of where Jesus was placed when he was delivered. And We think about it when we think about all the, the Christmas decorations and all around us. But the tension that we have as we gather as the people of God to worship Jesus is another part of the story with another piece of imagery that almost is in conflict, and that's the cross. That Jesus was born in a manger, and we have an image of a baby, but we also have the image of a strong Savior who gave himself on a cross. And so we hold those two things in tension. So even through the Advent season, we come to this table in front of us, and are reminded that our God came into our humble beginnings, into our humanity, lived, died, and rose again. And so we celebrate communion and come to the Lord's table and take a piece of bread representing his body broken and dip it in the juice representing his bloodshed because that's part of the story as well. So would you pray with me and as we continue to worship and sing, you're invited to come forward to these tables in front of us. Jesus, as we take time to intentionally slow down and remember and to reflect on and to read and to read again um, this story in the book of Luke that tells of, of your birth, of your arrival, of your advent. Would you help us to also at the same time to, to be present where you have us, to take a deep breath and to slow down and remember that, that you're active and alive working in us and in the world around us and we wanna be part of that. And so Jesus, we need you and we need to rely on you for that. And so we come again to your table that you've invited us to because you've laid down your life for us. And so as we come this morning, would we come with a sense of expectancy, with a sense of anticipation because we know you're good. We know that you're faithful. We know that you're gonna return as king. We know that you're here now as savior. Would you help us to enter into this Advent season? And would you do a new work in us and in our church and even in our city?